The Sock Solution by Lindsay Cornett. When children enter a family, a good many things begin to multiply. Cheerios, bodily fluids, tempers, under-eye circles, and socks. Not just any socks, but tiny socks. Not just tiny socks, but tiny socks bent on disappearing and, if not disappearing, at least wreaking havoc on every morning's routine and every week's laundry. I walk around my house and see the evidence. One solitary black sock sticking halfway out from under the couch, a roughly pink pair on top of the changing table, one muddy pair discarded four inches to the left of the dirty laundry hamper, and upstairs, a basket of clean clothes almost entirely put away except for a smattering of socks that belong in five different drawers in two different bedrooms. And returning them to their respective locations seemed an insurmountable feat after the many shirts and jeans and work pants and school uniforms that already made it back to their homes, but sapped every ounce of laundry-related energy I had available. Frankly, I'd do away with socks entirely if I could, but I live in a place where temperatures sometimes drop to single digits. My children have wide and chubby little feet which resist shoes entirely without smooth socks to help them slide in. Not to mention they do carry their father's genetic material, which means their feet will begin sweating and stinking to high heaven any day now. So I am resigned to my situation. Please join me in a moment of silence for the moms of, say, four or five or seven children. I have run through my morning to-do list. One potty trip and two diaper changes, one bowl of Cheerios and two bowls of oatmeal, three cups of white milk, one school uniform, two sets of play clothes, one backpack, one lunchbox. Check, check, check. Okay, time to go, I shout. Everybody to the stairs, please. I pull three coats from the closet and dole them out, and then three pairs of Velcro wide with sneakers. Crap, socks. Everybody stay put, I suggest. I squeeze past their bodies, still tiny enough to cram in together on the bottom step, my peas in a pod. I clomp up the stairs, convinced I am actually slower when in a hurry. I open up the top dresser drawers in the boys' room and root around. The only matches to be found are the socks they don't like. That is bumping my toes. It is squeezing my leg. I don't like that color, etc., etc. Ian can wear one gray and one navy. Does Leo need socks today? It's not too cold. Then to Ruthie's room. She'll have to do with one roughly sock and one plane. I head back downstairs where, if my children are still seated on the steps, I will promptly call the Pope because it would deserve a miracle designation. But no, no phone calls will be placed to Rome today. I contemplate making a lasso with the elastic from all the stretched out pairs of tiny child socks I just sorted through but resign myself to shouting instead. Hey, where'd you go? Come sit down. It's time to go. Guys, we are going to be late. Yet another morning derailed by tiny socks. I had a sock epiphany a while back during a podcast recording of all things. Emily, Lynn, and I were chatting about our homes and our children. They both have several more children at home than I, and I learned so much from them about logistics and streamlining and keeping my sanity intact. On this particular day, it was socks. That's it, I declared. 
When we're done recording, I'm moving all the socks downstairs to the coat closet. Had this been a video conference call, I'm confident Emily and Lynn would have seen a little illuminated light bulb floating above my head. Who says socks must be kept in the underwear drawer? Alas, I never moved the socks. Life and its to-dos continued to crash over me like waves onto the shore. And who has time to organize, sort, or make room when you are desperately trying to keep up? Around the house, should and always combine to create a cocktail of inefficiency and frustrating sticky points. I keep socks in the underwear drawer because it seems they should belong there. In fact, I've always kept them there. I've always kept chip clips with the Ziploc baggies, coffee in the pantry, vitamins in the bathroom, Sharpies in the junk drawer. But at some point, I've just grown weary of walking back and forth across my house in search of things, like an anxious pacer wearing tracks into the floors. So much of my day is often derailed, slowed down, or hung up, courtesy of toddler tantrums, misplaced keys, or the needs of the people I'm eager to serve. I can't help that. But if I can streamline my stuff, I'll have more energy for the relationships that matter most. So when we moved this summer, I arrived to our new house bound and determined that no child's sock would ever darken the doorway of a bedroom unless attached to a foot. We enter and exit our house most days through the back door, and we have a tiny Ikea bench and shoe rack there. Right across the hall is the pantry, and below the rice and pasta shelf, Next to the toilet paper and craft supplies, I designated a spot for children's socks. Even better, it's less than 10 feet from the washer and dryer. As I dump the freshly dried clothes into a basket for folding, I set socks aside as I go. They move straight from the dryer to their bin in the pantry and straight from there onto my children's feet. This new routine saves less than five minutes probably, but it also saves some shouting, some frantic running around, and some sanity. Sometimes my shoulds are tied to an internal expectation I can't meet, an area of life in which I feel inferior to someone else, or times when I'm trying to take responsibility for something out of my control. But other times, the word should just keeps me doing things the way I've always done them. Strategy and efficiency are not my personal strengths, and I tend to choose the path of least resistance. As time goes by, I've realized how these little things can derail my day and complicate my routines, and so are worth reevaluating. I'm learning not to care where household items should go, and instead pay attention to a couple particular things. At what points in my day do I feel stressed or frustrated? And what am I doing when I need a particular item? So, chip clips in the pantry, coffee beans with the mugs, Vitamins in the kitchen, Sharpies with the Ziploc bags, and socks in a basket in the pantry across the hall from the shoes. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing this piece with our community today. My pleasure. So as I have been asking other writers this month, I would love to ask you, um, what is one special, interesting, or quirky thing about your family? Well, this is just the first thing that came to mind for whatever reason today. But one kind of interesting thing about us, I've got three kids right now. They are six, four, and almost three. She'll be three in just a couple days. And all three of my kids 
um, receive speech therapy services. Okay. They have my youngest or my oldest started when he was two and the two little ones have followed right behind him. They all have plenty of words. They never stop talking. It's just really hard for anyone other than me to understand what it is that they're trying to say. Um, so that's just, I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting quirky thing about, about us, I guess. Um, it's kind of a thing that has sort of set the rhythms of our days and our weeks, you know, from pretty early on. Cause even when I only had one toddler, he was getting speech therapy. So, um, I don't know, it's just kind of been a part of our lives almost as long as we have had our kiddos. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that my first three children all had speech impediment stuff for about their first three or four years. And we chose not to go through speech therapy stuff at that time. Cause yeah. just the season of our lives, I don't even know how we would have gotten there or how we would have paid for it or mm-hmm. kind of just all the things. But, um, I have always had a lot of anxiety about not tending to that at those ages. Mm -hmm. And yet they still have sorted those out. Nobody has speech impediments now that they're 9, 11, 13. And um, I know that families have done it different ways, but I just I'm glad to know that that's been a positive I think it's been a positive experience for you based on things that you've said. And it is an yeah. interesting, wonderful thing about your family. Yeah, it's kind of funny how this is a bit of a tangent, I guess. But, you know, our when we were getting the process started with our oldest, we lived in a city where for two-year-olds, they sent a therapist to your house to do speech therapy with them through the school system. And it was free. That's and she cool. came right to our house. And it was um, just so easy to do it that it... Um, you know, otherwise maybe we would have waited a little longer till he was in school or something like that. And then once we got the ball rolling, it just sort of made sense to keep going. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Well, what is one thing that you do, don't do, or use to make your life just a little bit easier as a mom? Well, we have a membership to the YMCA and I do not really exercise. We use it <laughs> almost primarily as a means of childcare. That's awesome. Um, I send my children to the kids zone and I go sit in the cafe with a cup of coffee and I write or I meal plan. Um, and I do that sort of thing while I'm there. Occasionally I go walk around the track or take a shower yeah. and I, I do have plans to try a yoga class in 2020. Um, but yeah, I use my YMCA membership for childcare and and maybe if we lived closer to family, we wouldn't do that, yeah. you know, but um, because we're all kind of by ourselves and have limited childcare, that has been a lifesaver for yeah. me. No, I have done the same thing in other seasons, not recently, but when I had five, I was there every day, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having a hard time right now because my four-year-old like doesn't want to go. He's mm-hmm. having like this little bout of separation anxiety and he's always happy once he's there, but I have to like bribe him to get him to... Mm-hmm to walk into the room, but we'll come back. He'll come back. Yeah, I'm sure. Good. Well, are you a morning person or a night owl? And what is your routine for that time of the day? Can I say neither? I am like neither a morning owl nor a night person. I, I don't like to get out of bed. I'm always happy (laughs) if I manage to wake up before my children. I really love that quiet time in the morning, but it is really, really hard for me to get out of bed. I have never been able to do it consistently in my whole life. And I would have said in a previous, I don't know, previous time that I was a night owl, but lately I'm noticing that once 10 o'clock hits, I get really grumpy um, and I really need to get in bed earlier. Mm. So I don't think I'm either a morning person or a night owl. 
But I have, I don't know, I hope, I have plans that in 2020, maybe that will be the year that I can sort of figure out what works best for me. Yeah. If I do manage to wake up before my kids in the morning, if I've gotten enough sleep the night before and that sort of thing, I like to go down and have a hot cup of coffee. And I like to do morning pages, which is kind of this creative practice where you try just to write three pages, a longhand in a notebook of unedited writing. And that's kind of my favorite way to kick off the morning. But again, that's only if and when I manage to get out of bed. There's Grace. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So what is one topic you could talk about forever? Yeah, there are probably quite a few, but the one that comes to mind is books. I love to read Mm -hmm. and I could talk about books all day long. The books that I'm reading, the books that I like to read to my kids. I just love it. I love picture books and middle grade books. And I love to read good fiction and nonfiction, almost anything. I'm not really into sci-fi or fantasy, um, unless it comes highly recommended from somebody whose opinion I really trust. But it's books. I think if I could be just perpetually enrolled in like a high school English class so that (laughs) I could just talk to people about books in a real nerdy way all the time, every week, I'd be thrilled. Um, I just never get tired of it. Yeah. Well, could I ask you one follow-up question to that and just ask you if you had to identify three books that you think that every mom should read and not necessarily just moms, but anybody to read because they've been so impactful for you. What three books would you say? Okay. The first is The Chosen by Kaim Potok. Have you Mm -hmm. read this? I have. Yes. I love that book so much. I just think the storytelling is so wonderful. And it's a book that's about friendship and family and faith and kind of how all of those things intersect. And I think it's just an important book for anybody who considers themselves a person of faith or anyone who is kind of thinking about how their family and their faith um, affect one another. I think it's really really a lovely story. I also really love on the nonfiction side, I love Brene Brown Mm -hmm. and her book, Daring Greatly. Mm -hmm. I I want to call that like a life-changing book for me. I just think that her, what she researches and what she has to say about vulnerability and shame and communication with people is really valuable. And I think that I don't know. I think we kind of have like a crisis of vulnerability and like an inability to communicate well with each other in our society these days. So I think those are really important. Okay. And one other one that just came to mind because there's a movie out about it right now or a movie based on the book is Just Mercy Mm. by Bryan Stevenson. Yeah. That's kind of a different topic altogether, but it's about criminal justice reform and the work that Brian Stevenson has done around that issue. And it is really, it was like a paradigm shifting book for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us who are Americans, at least, um, there's a lot that we can learn around that issue. And I think that he is a person who, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is, so to speak, and he's on the front lines of that issue. And so I think he's a great person to yeah, learn from. I haven't read that one yet, but I have been eyeing it. I, I always feel a little bit funny, but I've just been in such a sensitive, tender season. If it's a tough yeah. subject, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can read that just yet until I'm... It yeah. is. It is a hard book to read. It is not easy at all just because of the topic. Yeah. And there are some sensitive stories in there. And yeah, so I don't know if I 
would recommend it for everybody in every season of life. But if you feel like you're in a spot where you're ready to like learn a little bit about that and hear some of those stories, I really I will definitely it. read it sometime. I just feel like when you're not even sure if you're going to be able to function that day, you should yep, probably not, not be picking nope, up yeah, drinking books that like that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. And I uh, can't wait to hear from you um, next time. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Emily. 